This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Every year, an estimated one and a half million children, that's one out of six, are diagnosed with autism, Asperger's syndrome, ADHD, dyslexia, or obsessive-compulsive disorder. Diagnosis rates are climbing at really what is an alarming rate, and yet the methods that are used by doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and behavior specialists to diagnose and treat these conditions have barely changed in half a century. Psychiatric drugs, which are prescribed to more than 20% of elementary school children today, don't cure the problem. They only disguise the symptoms. So parents are advised to learn coping techniques to manage the problem because they're told neurobehavioral dysfunctions can get better, but they will never disappear. But is that really true? In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with an internationally known chiropractic neurologist who's got a completely different understanding of the cause of these conditions. He says it's a disconnection between the left and right sides of the child's developing brain. And his treatment method, that's called the Brain Balance Program, has achieved real, fully documented results that have dramatically improved the quality of life for children and, of course, their families. I'm Armin Brat. We'll start talking about this new drug-free approach to dealing with brain-based problems in childhood when positive parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday. I believe. A third of the kids in my 8th grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to CasaFamilyDay.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Robert Melillo, who's the author of Disconnected Kids, the groundbreaking brain balance program for children with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and other neurological disorders. Dr. Melillo, thanks for joining us. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to being with you. Let it, let's start from the, from the beginning. Uh, it's, you, talk, you talk about in the book about how really the way that we've been dealing with these brain-based disorders, ADHD and, and autism and things like that, really hasn't changed a lot in the last 50 years. 
And you're right. looking at things from a completely different perspective, which is that there's a, a disconnect, as the name of the book is, Disconnected Kids, between the hemispheres of the brain. Talk about just about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, it really all started with me with the question of uh, what is actually ADHD from a neurological perspective? Um, early 90s, I uh, had someone who asked me to do some research. Her son was diagnosed with ADHD, and she was a friend of the family. And and my, you know, I've been a clinician for over 30 years, and my specialties have always been in neurology and rehabilitation. And I've been teaching uh, clinical neurology and brain uh, development for 20 years. So I knew a lot about the brain, but when I first started looking into ADHD, um, I couldn't find anybody that could tell me what the problem was. Nobody knew what was actually happening in the brain. And for me, as somebody who was really knew a lot about the brain and was into rehabilitation, um, my attitude was, if you can show me what the problem is, then I can try to help it. Um, and I was pretty shocked to find out that, you know, most people and certainly clinicians or professionals or teachers or anybody that I had talked to really didn't know what was happening in the brain. And that's what it all started with me. Um, and so, you know, it started me in the early 90s on, on you know, a 20-year quest of trying to really understand what was happening in the brain because for me I couldn't really look at what could be done you know what treatments would be effective or um, you know what could cause it whether it was something that was preventable um, you know I couldn't you couldn't answer any of those questions without understanding what the actual problem was and that's where you know my search led me down the road uh, to find this uh, concept known as functional disconnection syndrome which was the idea that different areas of the brain weren't damaged or injured, but rather there was just a disconnect in their ability to, to talk to one another, their ability to share and integrate information, and the most likely uh, areas of the brain to become disconnected were the two hemispheres because mm -hmm. of the way that they developed uh, differently and separately. And that really kind of... Uh, when I found that, that, that kind of opened the door for, okay, now, you know, what can we do about it? Now, I'm going to ask you, I guess, a little bit of a technical question. There's a lot of uh, brain science that, talking about, that talks about how people have lost big chunks of their brain, and the brain somehow figures out a way to, to connect around that or to rebuild connections or strengthen other areas to compensate for the areas that have been lost. And people with big missing parts of their brain have gone on to go to college and, and do all sorts of wonderful things. Why isn't the brain somehow managing to create these connections then? Yeah, you know, there's a difference between whether something is acquired later on or whether it is something that is developmental. Um, if it's a, a glitch that kind of happens from the beginning. And, and to a certain extent, there is a compensation. Uh, and that's part of the problem, actually, is that what you see. And when I first started looking at this, um, one of the things that stood out in the, in the research was that everybody recognized that these children with all of these disorders had what was known as an unevenness of skills, meaning that there was a, a clear uh, imbalance in their functions where they had certain skills that were um, much better than others. In many cases, uh, kids with ADHD, kids with autism, dyslexia, OCD, they have certain areas that are exceptional. Um, it was widely recognized that they were actually better than average in certain things, but yet they also struggled in other areas. 
And even when I looked at the early research on dyslexia, two uh, very famous uh, neuro neurologists, Galliberta and Gershwin, in the early uh, 80s, late 70s, they were the first ones to do autopsies on dyslexics. And what they found was that these people who clearly couldn't read and were very bad at language and some math skills, they had exceptional visual spatial skills, and they were very good in certain areas. Um, and when they did the autopsies, they literally found that there was a reverse asymmetry, meaning where most people have an area of the brain called the left planum temporality is larger. That's a language center. Most people, it's larger on the left side of the brain. In these individuals, they all had it larger on the right side of the brain, which is the area of the brain that was the area for visual spatial skills. So they had this imbalance, this physical imbalance in the brain, and it was uh, paralleled by a functional imbalance in their skills, and they even came up with a term for it called the pathology of superiority, which means that they felt like the advanced skill was some sort of compensation for delayed development in another area of the brain. And that is actually, you know, what we're looking at with these kids. The problem is they have areas of the brain that are too strong, and then they have areas of the brain that are too underdeveloped or too weak. And that produces this imbalance, yeah. and that is what leads to these symptoms. Now, we talk about, I think, when talking about the brain, it, maybe it's common knowledge, maybe it's not. It should be anyway that the, the left, generally speaking, the left brain controls the right side of the body, the right brain controls the left side of the body. But you talk about some interesting shifts in there or some interesting quirks, I guess, that sometimes, or I guess that a lot of these kids have a tendency to be left-handed and that you know, generally speaking, your dominant side is going to be the whole side, but that that sometimes goes back and forth with these kids. What's going on there? Yeah, you know, um, one of the basic principles in developing any complex system, if you look at complexity theory, is that the first thing that happen, has to happen is you must have uh, specialization or differentiation. So as our brain is developing, um, one of the things that's happening is that the two hemispheres are becoming more and more specialized. And as they become more and more specialized, they become more and more different uh, in what they control. And the left side of the brain, or typically one side of the brain, is dominant for volitional motor control or volitional types of of control of things like vision um, and auditory perception. And so normally one side of the brain will be dominant with hand dominance, dominance, foot dominance, ear and eye dominance. So with most people, you know, the left side of their brain is dominant for language and the right side of their body is dominant for motor skills, for visual for for reading, for uh, hearing language, and so it all ends up converging on one side of the brain, which is a good thing. Uh, with children who have developmental delays, uh, what happens is that they're not really progressing. They're not maturing. Certain areas of their brain get kind of stuck in their developmental level. And so what we see is that the brain doesn't really become as specialized. The two sides of the brain don't really become very different. Um, you know, one researcher has referred to dyslexia, for instance, as really looking like uh, someone who has two right brains and no left brain. And ADHD kind of looks like they have two left brains and, and no right brain. So what we see is that the fact that the one hemisphere isn't becoming specialized 
they get this mixed dominance profile where they may have a right-handedness and uh, left foot dominance and right ear dominance and left eye dominance. And especially when the eye and the ear are mixed, um, you know, for reading, for instance, your right eye should lead and your right ear should hear the sound. So when you try and decode and you're trying to match the symbol with the sound, both the eye and the ear should be on the same side and it should go to the same side of the brain where it can merge the sound and the symbol together. You're talking about so when you're reading out loud? Um, when you're reading, even even if you're, yes, when you're reading out loud, when you're first starting to learn and start to okay. decode okay. And, and hear sounds and syllables. Um, and if that doesn't happen, then that can you know create an extra step in trying to integrate that information together, and that in and of itself can affect a child's ability to, to read. Talking with Robert Melillo, who's the author of Disconnected Kids, the groundbreaking brain balance program for children with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and other neurological disorders. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to keep talking with Robert and get into the groundbreaking brain balance program. I'm Armin Brott. My son Casey was a bright, fearless 20-year-old with a boundless future ahead of him. But in the blink of an eye, he was gone. While out riding a skateboard, Casey fell. He was not wearing a helmet. Our whole family wishes he was. It could have saved his life. I'm Captain Kevin Raffelli of the San Mateo Police Department. Parents, encourage your kids to strap on a helmet every time they jump on a bike, scooter, or skateboard. Think of my son Casey and use your head. Put a helmet on. It could save your life. A message from the Consumer Product Safety Commission. In 1977, in Johannesburg, South Africa, an eight-year-old boy picked up the game of golf from his father. By the age of nine, he was already outplaying him. The odds of that same boy then making it to the U.S. and European pro golf tours? One in seven million. The odds of the Big Easy winning the Open Championship once and the U.S. Open Championship twice, one in 780 million. The odds of this professional golfer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 110. Ernie Els encourages you to learn the signs of autism at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. I walk and you drive. So let's make a deal. I'll watch for you and cross the street safely. You watch for me and stop. Think of the impact we can make. A message from the Federal Highway Administration. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Robert Melillo, who's the author of Disconnected Kids, and do want to get into the Brain Balance Program and what that is and yeah. how you can do it at home, I think, is one of the most interesting things about the book, is that you're, you're saying that this is stuff you can, you can do by yourself. You don't have to necessarily go to a specialist. How, exactly. what, what is it? Well, basically, as we said, you know, it all starts with understanding what the problem is, and the problem is this developmental imbalance. Uh, where one side of the brain is, is kind of stuck, gets stuck in development in children that then either through compensation or through natural gifts, they end up having uh, unusually strong strengths and skills in the opposite sides of the brain. So what we want to do is create 
a balance because this creates a processing imbalance where one side of the brain is literally processing information at a much faster speed so that the two sides of the brain can't, in, can't synchronize and integrate information. So our job is to try to identify the weakened areas on one side of the brain or the underdeveloped areas and through very targeted brain stimulation exercises and activities we can cause those areas to grow and as they grow they become faster the neurons become bigger and they have faster impulses and when they get fast enough they can then synchronize and link up with the other hemisphere and that effectively can help correct the problem on a long-term basis so what we do is we start off with, uh, in the book, and even in our centers, with uh, asking the parents to assess their own child to, to find out. Because even though we're talking about right hemisphere and left hemisphere, there are you know, hundreds of different centers that, can be, that are specialized on each side of the brain. So we need to identify each child's makeup of their strengths and weaknesses. And the, the makeup of this imbalance is different. It's slightly different. So we need to really identify what are the weakened areas. So we have the parent assess them and look at various motor skills. We look at sensory processing skills like visual processing and, um, and vestibular, any ear processing, touch processing, mm-hmm. light processing. And then we find out where they're weakened. And then we put together exercises in combination. Uh, so we do motor activities, sensory stimulation, cognitive-based exercises, academic based activities sure and then we support that all with diet and nutrition as well give us a couple of examples of some issues you know not touching not wanting to be touched were, were, was one thing uh, you know how how does that affect or how is that related to a particular side of the brain yeah all of the uh, the, the sensory processing that we do um, is really distributed differently with the right and the left side of the brain, specializing in different parts of it. So we hear all the time that kids have, you know, sensory processing deficits, like auditory processing deficit or visual processing deficit or tactile. But it's really not a deficit. What we're seeing is an imbalance because what we see is, for instance, the left side of the brain is more specific with detailed type of visual processing. It, it finds the details in anything, and it's very good with sequential visual processing. Um, the right side of the brain is holistic. It sees the whole picture. Um, so, for instance, the left side of the brain is good at looking at symbols and letters and words or individual words. The right brain puts those words together and gets the, the main idea of a story. Um, or the, the right side of the brain is more looking at nonverbal tone of voice. Um, you know, inflection, things like that. Um, the, the sound issues, again, the way we process sound, the left side of the brain hears more high-frequency sounds that come very rapidly in a sequence as if we're reading or, or speaking, whereas the right side hears more low-frequency sounds like the tone of the voice and the emotionality. So, for instance, you take a kid with autism, uh, and this is well-documented, that they are exceptionally good at what we call local visual processing. They're incredibly good at picking out detail, but they get stuck in the detail and they can't see the big picture. So they're very poor at reading comprehension or main idea or pragmatics. Um, they're hypersensitive to high frequency sound, but yet they, they don't hear, literally don't respond to low frequency sound. They hate to be touched lightly 
but they crave deep touch because they're craving stimulation to the right side of their brain, but because the left side of the brain is processing it so well, they're hypersensitive to those things. So the key is that we need to be able to understand that and we need to be able to give them what they're craving, which is we need to stimulate the underactive or underdeveloped areas of their brain to create this balance. And when we do, uh, you know, then they're, they're, all their processing gets back more towards normal. So how would you go about stimulating the underdeveloped part of the brain for in just the example that you gave, an autistic kid who doesn't like to be touched lightly but likes to be touched firmly, does that mean that you're, you're going to start touching the child lightly so that he builds up an acceptance of it, or, or how, how does that work? Yeah, no, and that's a good, you bring up a very good point, some, because some of the approaches in treating autistic kids is that you try to desensitize their hypersensitivity. Right, right. Uh, by, by using that, like by, get, by using high-frequency free, high sounds. Um, I believe that that's a mistake because what you're doing is you're stimulating the, o- the overactive side. Um, the way to inhibit the hyperactivity is to stimulate the other side of the brain, which is underactive. So what we do is, like, for instance, with touch, we would give them deep touch type of activities. We would, you know, give them uh, activities that would – that's why a lot of ki- children with autism will wear things like weighted vests or you do joint compressions or certain types of stretching or uh, deep type of, of touch, uh, which stimulates that right side of the brain, and then that naturally inhibits the, the left side hypersensitivity. So we can do that type of activities. Parents can, it's like hugging your child. It's basically squeezing them and then letting go and squeezing them and letting go. Um, and those are things that stimulate those deep joint muscle receptors. Now, are you actually rebuilding the brain or making a physical connection between the right and left hemisphere, or are you just kind of beefing things up where they are? No, we're actually changing the brain. I mean, everybody is now kind of familiar with the term of neuroplasticity uh, and the idea that the brain can change based on stimulation and training, uh, physically and chemically change. So it's like building muscles. Uh, When you train a muscle, when you train specifically for a specific sport, you literally train the muscle and you train that skill uh, in that area, and, and it changes your body. It, cha- it builds muscles. It builds proteins. In the brain, when we use the brain, when we stimulate areas of the brain, we literally cause the brain cells to grow larger. We stimulate genes that will produce protein that will lead to an increased size and efficiency of the neurons, actually creating new connections and increasing the endurance by increasing mitochondria and things like that. And it's been shown that um, it happens very rapidly, that after even an hour after you learn something new, um, we can measure changes in gray matter in the brain. Right. So these things happen very, very quickly. Talk real briefly about how you can change behavioral issues. Because I can see it's, it's a little easier, I would imagine, you, know, you can stimulate something physically, but how do you modify behavior using this method? Well, behavior is a product of the brain, as everything else is. Emotions are a product of the brain. Um, And especially, you know, we have two basic platforms of all human behavior, and that's approach and avoidance. The left side of the brain governs approach behavior, and the right side of the brain governs avoidance or withdrawal behavior. And that's kind of how the two hemispheres act. And then when we look at emotions, we have emotions that are distributed in the left brain and the right brain. The left brain is more these positive approach emotions things like happy, anger, and surprise. 
The right side of the brain is more sad, disgust, um, avoidance, fear. Um, the right side of the brain is the more social, emotional side of the brain. So the ability to understand nonverbal communication, empathy. So what we see is that children with right side developmental delays like autism or ADHD or Asperger's, you know, they have lack of empathy. They have very poor nonverbal communication. They have, uh, they have anger outbursts because the left brain is, is too strong. They have obsessive compulsive behavior because the left brain by its nature is obsessive and compulsive and impulsive. So without the right brain balancing it out, we get these obsessive con uh, behaviors. But when we balance the brain out, when the right brain naturally gets stronger, it naturally inhibits those and it dampens that and it controls our behavior so we have a normal balance of behavioral approach and avoidance or positive and negative emotions in an appropriate way. Robert Melillo, it's M-E-L-I-L-L-O, is the author of Disconnected Kids, the groundbreaking brain balance program for children with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and other neurological disorders. Robert, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Thank you so much. It was great being with you. Dear Mom and Dad, one thing I've learned in the Army is that when you're lucky enough to get a little time off, you should put it to good use. So I'm taking a moment to write and tell you that I'm fine and doing well. We have good days and bad days over here. We try to remember the good ones and get through the bad ones as best we can. Mostly we have each other, and that's what keeps us going. That and the pride of our commitment to getting the job done, whatever it takes. I miss you all very much and can't wait to get back to life as usual. Please tell everybody hello for me and that I'll be home soon. And Mom, since you asked, if anyone wants to help, just tell them to contact the USO. You can't believe how much they do for us. With love, your son Michael. The USO depends on the generosity of the American people, people just like you. To find out how you can help, visit us at USO.org. The USO, until everyone comes home. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and we're going to be talking toys with Sam Fuse. It's still kind of cold in a lot of parts of the country, and weather is coming around. We're, we're getting close to spring, close to summer, but still, still there's a lot of uh, weather incidents, and people are going to have to be spending some time playing inside. And this week, wanted to take a look at some of the things that we thought would be fun ways, if, you've, if you're trapped inside, or even if you're not trapped, to just hang out. And there's going to be those rainy days. There are. Tell us about the, the fashion doll coop. That was actually a pretty cool toy. Um, it's bigger than, than you might think it is. I hope that the photo did it justice. Um, so when you think about your traditional vehicles for, let's say, Barbie, they're pretty sleek. They tend to fit the dolls and the dolls alone. Um, and they're kind of on the pricey side, which, you know, you, you pay for your name brands. The coolest thing about the Fashion Doll Coupe from American Plastic Toys was that it was $5. That just seemed so incredibly reasonable. Know, and it yeah. comes in a, in a blue Jeep style as well. It fits pretty much any classically like Barbie-sized dolls or larger, as you can see from the things that we chose to put in it. Yeah. Um, my son is a boy, so we don't tend to have tons of Barbies laying around the house, although we have a couple, you know, testing products. Well, you could fit some Ninja Turtles in there, certainly. You with absolutely all the could fit Ninja Turtles in there. <laughs> we, we did fit Ninja Turtles in there. And glide smoothly there are no problems with like you think oh five dollars obviously it's going to have problems it's not going to you know wheel around it's going to have jammed up wheels it's going to be a pile of junk let me tell you my son is not gentle he's seven and at this age he is 
really putting toys to the test, it's fine. There's it, there's no wear and tear visible on the car. It rolls around like the pricey models. So if you do have a son that likes to wheel his dolls around as well, or a daughter that doesn't like pink, there you go. There you go, yeah. It's kind of in the theme of having lots of room for stuff. There was this dollhouse, this fashion doll, delightful dollhouse. I was amazed when the it's box huge. showed up. The box, you know, the little girl standing up there in the picture on, on the website, on uh, parentsofplay.com, and the thing is taller than she is. It's three stories, and mm-hmm. there's plenty of room for even the American girl-sized dolls Absolutely. to be in there. It's a, it's a big dollhouse, and you can set it up in several different ways. You can set it up lengthwise. You can set it up in, with three tiers. You can do a lot of different things with that, and it's open on all the sides, so wherever your your child decides to go in, and play from it. It's not closed off in the back or on several sides like most dollhouses are. Like, you don't have to push it up against the wall. You could stick it in the middle of the playroom if you choose to. Um, it's a, it's tall. Like, it's taller than, let's say, your average preschooler or kindergartner. It's, it's, it's a big house. Yeah. And again, yeah. for the house, it's $100, and it comes with this huge dollhouse and the things that go inside, beds, chairs, a bathtub, like, all these things that you usually have to go out and buy extra, and that's not cheap. No. Anybody who's ever looked at or purchased a dollhouse will tell you all those things are extras, and those extras are – the dollhouses themselves are not cheap, and then the extras are an arm and a leg, and you end up having to build up over extended periods of time. $100, bam, you're done. There are lots of reviews of a lot more toys and games at parentsatplay.com. Check us out. We'll be back next week with another Parents at Play column. Till then, I'm Armin Brock. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.